0: Thank you, Justin. Good evening. I am Pastor Anthony, and you have found your way on a very snowy evening to the (laughs) Vine Campus of New Day Community Church. So, thank you for coming and welcome. At least it's warmer in here than it is outside. Preach. Amen. In the summer, we can't say that because it's definitely hotter in here than it is outside. But maybe you can pray in AC. That would be good. So, we are on the last night of our Kingdom Parable series. And we are looking at all the things that Jesus said about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. It's referred to two different ways in the scriptures. Because people have had questions about it for a long time. And Jesus answered usually in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a guy who loses some sheep. Or you know, just weird different things. And we want to look deeply into those things that Jesus said. And get a picture of what the kingdom of God is. Last week... We talked about relating to the king of the kingdom, which built on the week before that, which was about, fittingly, the king of the kingdom. And today, in conclusion, I want to talk about the mindset of the kingdom. So we know about the king. We know how to relate to the king. But how should you think about yourself, God, and other people When you're in the kingdom, what is the appropriate way to conduct yourself? What should your inner monologue be like? What should your attitude, your disposition be like? What should your mindset be? And we are going to dig into that by going once again to Luke chapter 18, this time to verses 9 to 14. I will read it in its entirety now. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, (laughs) evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who (coughs) exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. There's a lot here. The main idea is so evident, you might think it hardly needs to be preached on, but I had a lot of fun developing this message and I, I came up with some points, and I had some things impressed upon my heart that I had never thought of before. So if you've grown up in church and you've read this a lot, I hope you have the same experience, because I had a good time doing this this week. First of all, I want to say this. Who experienced Sunday school and they had, like, the felt board with, like, the cheesy felt things? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've seen, like, the cheesy Sunday school pictures, right, that always illustrate every story? There must be a cheesy, like, watercolor or colored pencil drawing of every Bible story, right? So I found this one use, oh no, my clicker, uh oh, we got problems if my clicker fails, Justin, can you go to the next one, sorry, hopefully it doesn't click for like nine in a row, there we go, so I found this, right, this is the Pharisee obviously in front, and then we've got the, uh, the guy in the back, make sure that I'm on, here I am, but I don't want to use this, because this doesn't bring it into modern day, I found another painting that I think actually has impact, next one please, and that is this one. Now we're chuckling, right? Because maybe because it's so perfect. Look at the look on that guy's face—like the one side of his face up, Like you, you want to slap him already. And then we, have, and then we have the quote-unquote miserable sinner, right, in the background. So I want to use these characters for this message. I think this brings it nicely into modern day. It gives us something we can visualize and we can sink our teeth into, especially if, like me, you grew up in a church where people are usually dressed up. Jesse, could you help me out with that? Excellent. Keith, next one, please. We're going to talk about the setting before we dive into the characters. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Did they just go up to the temple and the temple was open like the old Catholic churches used to be and they wandered in and they were praying by themselves? Did they just happen to be there? Probably not. Next slide, please. I was listening to a podcast one time, RZIM. Who's ever heard of Robbie Zacharias International Ministries? Great stuff. They have a podcast called Let My People Think which I already love. And from April 7th of this year, there was a podcast entitled, Is Christianity Arrogant? And the guy who was speaking was Michael Ramsden, who was one of my favorite guys on the team. And the last half of this podcast is him painting the picture of this parable. And he says, look, they didn't just happen to be at the temple. They were probably attending the evening sacrifice. When a lot of Jews would go to the temple to pray, it was probably an event. There were probably lots of people there. And what happened was that the priest would go through the whole ceremony, he would offer the sacrifice, the blood of the lamb would be splashed on the side of the altar, you know. and then he would go away to burn incense. And after he was done lighting incense in the presence of the Lord, he would come back to the people and address them again. So Michael Ramsden says it was obviously custom, this is a sacred moment. When the priest goes away, you can't do anything, so everyone would pray. They would reflect on the fact that the sacrifice was just made for forgiveness of sins, And then they would come back. This is actually illustrated earlier in the book of Luke. Next slide, please, Keith. When Zacharias, John the Baptist's dad, is is doing his duty. It says this in Luke 1, 8 to 10. Once, when Zacharias' division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, so it's his job to do the sacrifice, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense, Shocking! And what did the people do when he did that? And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So this is the scene. Next slide, please. Everyone has gathered for the sacrifice. It was a sacred moment, and they were reflecting on what the sacrifice was for. The sacrifice was done as a propitiation, big Christian-y word, to accomplish atonement, another not so big, but still very Christian-y word. So the question is, what in the world is propitiation and atonement? <laughs> Luckily, we have the next slide, please. <laughs> I can now shamelessly <clears throat> use the Greek, as i passed Greek 1 and Greek 2. The Greek word is halaskomai, right? And according to my Greek New Testament, which I can't read nearly as well as I want to, perhaps one day, it says, this word means to bring about forgiveness, to take away, to deal mercifully with, And passively, it means to be merciful to or have mercy upon. And then my mom's expository, which I love very much, the Christmas present from my mom. It means to atone, to have mercy on, to make atonement for, and it is often used of God's forgiveness, and, this is important, God's turning aside his anger against or towards someone. So when the sacrifice was made, This was symbolically showing that God was no longer angry at the people for the sins and the wrongdoing they had committed. God was now offering forgiveness because of this propitiating sacrifice to people that do not deserve it. In the Old Testament system, right up to Jesus' day, there was only one way to get forgiven. There was only one way to have God turn away from his anger, and that was the sacrifice. So, what do you think you were reflecting on when it was time to pray? This fact, right? This is going to play heavily into the outcome. This parable in the mindset of the kingdom. Keep next slide. We got. Let's talk about the Pharisee. Yes, we all want to slap the Pharisee. Although we are going to discover that this is only partially justified, because the first thing we need to know about the Pharisee. Next slide, please. Is that this guy's telling the truth? He's not fitting. He's not even exaggerating. Next slide, please. When the Pharisee says about himself. I thank you that I'm not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers or even like this tax collector I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get that is accurate Pharisees were really something else and we can't just think of them as villains or else we're going to miss the point of this story next slide please in in Jesus' day Pharisees took obeying God's word very seriously they did a lot of weird stuff but they did a lot of weird stuff. Thank you, Samra. I'll test this out. Boom, baby. Got it. Awesome. They did a lot of weird stuff because they wanted to honor God. So I actually read this book that said the Pharisees thought of God's laws as like a flower garden that you wouldn't dare walk on. And to make sure that you didn't walk on a flower garden that you didn't want people to trample on, what would you do? You build a fence around it, right? So they fenced God's law, so to speak. With other laws. They called it the tradition of the elders or the oral law. So they didn't even want to get close to breaking God's laws, right? And to keep God's laws safe, they added other rules. Like if God says, you know, don't go past 65 miles per hour on the freeway, they'd be like, we don't go past 60, just to keep it safe. And that's the tradition of the elders. They got in trouble for this very thing, but they went over and above. Somebody say over and above. Over and above. Thank you very much. This Pharisee seems to put a fence around the fence around the law. Like, Jews did not have to fast during the week. The only day they had to fast was the Day of Atonement. This guy fasts twice a week and tithes absolutely a tenth of everything. You didn't have to tithe on everything. I mean, you had to tithe on a lot, but this guy tithes on everything. He's going over and above, over and above to make sure he doesn't break God's law. That's serious, man. Also, the historian Josephus... Said that the Pharisees were the people's party. They were the blue-collar working class heroes. They were respected. The Bible says people are Pharisees and they enjoy what? They enjoy the greetings of respect in the marketplace and having the choice seats at banquets. Well, why would they get that? They got that because they were admired. They were admired for taking God's word so seriously and going over and above. Also, they lived simple lives usually. These are not flashy people. These usually were not wealthy people. If you dig into the different sects of Judaism, usually it was these guys called the Sadducees. You guys ever heard of that? They're usually the wealthy people, not the Pharisees. The Pharisees were known for living simple lives and for being very respectful, specifically to their elders. So you have this guy who says, thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. and then compares himself to robbers and adulterers and tax collectors, and it should be evident at this point that he is absolutely dead on. He's not like a normal person. That would be like saying, this guy is a normal first century Jew, like this guy is a normal basketball player, right? (laughs) If LeBron James got on the news and said, you know, gosh, sometimes I'm just really thankful that I'm not a normal basketball player, we would all be like, yeah, I can understand (laughs) that. You're LeBron James. If I was LeBron, I'd be thankful that I wasn't normal either, you know? Or Bruce Lee. It's like saying that this guy is a normal (laughs) martial artist. You know, if if you were listening to Bruce Lee give a talk and you said, gosh, sometimes I'm just so thankful to God that I'm just not like a normal martial artist. You know, I really like being Bruce Lee. You'd say, dang right, man, I wish I was Bruce Lee. You know what I mean? That'd be awesome. But none of that is the point. The fact that this guy is telling the truth about himself doesn't matter. The fact that he's going over and above, we will soon see does not matter because if I have a target and my goal is to hit the target and I decide I'm going to do better than hitting the target I'm going to go over and above we call that missing missing Missing. missing the target and this is why Jesus yelled at them all the time he's like what are you doing with all these extra rules we got a fence around the fence around the fence he's like I want you you're supposed to be in the garden what is wrong with you anyway it's another sermon for another time Bruce Lee demonstrates what we will eventually see as the mindset of the kingdom. One time, somebody asked Bruce Lee, hey Bruce, are you really that good? And Bruce Lee had a very interesting answer. He said this. He said, if I tell you I'm good, you will probably say that I am boasting. But if I tell you I'm not good, you'll know I'm lying. So, this humorous, humor, you know, humorously says that, yeah, I know I'm good, but One thing I don't want to seem like, even though I'm Bruce Lee, even though I could say thank you, God, that I'm not a normal martial artist, one thing I don't want to seem like is an arrogant punk. You know, I just, that's distasteful to me, even though I'm great. But we discover our Pharisee friend is exactly that. Here's an interesting thing this Bailey guy, whose book I'm really enjoying, he grew up in the Middle East, he writes books in Arabic. He says that in the first century, there were three types of prayers. Type 1 was a confession of sin. Type 2 was thanking God for a bounty you received. And type 3 was a petition for yourself or others. And Bailey goes on to say, you know, by these definitions, this guy isn't even praying. He's standing there before the sacrifice and he's not even praying. But Michael Ramston, the guy from Rabbi Zacharias, I think nails it. He's like, oh, no, no, no. He's praying all right. And it's number two. He's actually thanking God for making him better than you. Thank you, God, that I'm not like normal people. you understand what he's doing? They've just made this sacrifice. They've thrown real blood on the altar for the atonement of sin. And he stands before God and he's like, boy, we're great, aren't we? Me and you, God, <laughs> I'm glad I don't need this. Wow. I really appreciate what you did for these people. And thank you that I'm not like them. I do all this great stuff. This guy is an arrogant, self-righteous jerk. Next slide, please, clicker. There we go. This is the problem. It has nothing to do with going over and above. It has nothing to do with what he's doing and how he's living his life. It has nothing to do with how serious he's taking the law. He is standing before God's sacrifice, and all he can do is praise himself. That is a problem. This is not the mindset The kingdom. This clicker is going to be an issue. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. This is the takeaway from the Pharisee. It doesn't matter what you do. If you come before God thinking you don't need His forgiveness, I want to stop at this point and do a soft close for all of the Pharisees among us. (laughs) And I think. As we live the Christian life, we will sometimes wander into the Pharisee camp so that we will come to church, we will go to the worship service, the Holy Spirit will come, and something inside us is saying, wow, I remember when I needed you, God. I'm so thankful that you brought me this far, but I'm not desperate for you like so-and-so and -and -and so-and-so over there. They're really broken right now. Lord, help them. God, they're just so broken. But me and you, Lord, we've come a long way, haven't we? I'm doing pretty good. That is a huge problem. Because when we stand before the sacrifice of the Lord, which we do every week, and specifically at communion, we need to reflect on the fact that we need His real saving grace right now. And if you can't think of anything that you need that grace applied to, we may have a problem. So I'm going to pray right now. Let's bow our heads. Father God, We need you. Everybody say, we need you. One, two, three. We We need need you. God, we need you now. We need you like we did at the beginning. We will need you for the rest of our lives. Please do not let pride pop up in our hearts like dandelions in a yard, Lord God. We want you to pull it out, root it out, get rid of it forever. Do not let us be blind to the fact that we still need you. Don't let us fall into the trap of comparing ourselves to other people when we stand in your presence, God. It makes us icky when we say it out loud, but let us not fall into that trap in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, now we go to the hero of the story, right? We've got the tax collector. Well, hero might be too strong a word. Because what we're going to discover about this guy is that, first of all, he's telling the truth. Just like the Pharisee, when he stands before God and beats his breast and says, Lord, next slide please, Justin. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He is right. And this, like chest beating stuff, traditionally in, in the culture, that's what women did when they were really upset. Guys didn't usually do that. Maybe they didn't think they ever got upset enough to warrant it. Occasionally they would, but it had to be something like extreme. And here this guy is showing the most extreme form of visible mourning for something that is just tearing him up. And all he can do when the sacrifice is made and the priest goes off to burn the incense is say, Have mercy on me, a sinner. We're going to talk about what that actually means in the Greek in just a second. But first let me say this about tax collectors. These people were bad dudes usually. They were usually thought to be traitors. Why? Because they were Jews who worked for Rome. They were actually like the figurehead of Rome to you as a fellow Jew when you had to pay your taxes. And they usually extorted people. Why? Because Rome says, hey, the tax is 20 bucks. They go to my mom and say, hey, the tax is 40 bucks. You don't have the authority to argue. You have to pay them what they ask for, and they keep the rest. This is how they make their money. Right? They could ask for whatever they wanted. And behind them is the muscle of the government. So they were very disliked. Not only that, but they couldn't be witnesses or judges. And they were expelled from their local synagogues. They brought disgrace not only on themselves, but on their families. And they chose this. You chose to be a tax collector. You fought for this job. You were choosing to be the schmuck. So usually these were people who didn't have a problem extorting other people and didn't have a problem that those other people didn't like them very much. So what? Give me the 40 bucks. This guy apparently is having a change of heart. Maybe he's realizing who he is. God came to call tax collectors too. If you're in your paper Bible, you can flip over a page. And in Luke 19 is the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector who spends an afternoon with Jesus and is suddenly paying people back four times as much. If anything, that demonstrates that God will go to the worst of the worst and that the worst of the worst change in the presence of Jesus. But tax collectors were usually legitimately nasty guys. There's actually an exhortation in the Bible that says if someone is sinning, you go to them one on one. And if they won't listen to you, you take two or three people. And if they won't listen to two or three people, you get the church involved. And if they won't listen to the church, Jesus says treat them like a pagan or. A tax collector. We always try to soften that, right? Like, well, what they actually mean is this. No, what he means is, you treat them like someone, next slide, who by their own choice has removed themselves from fellowship with the community. They wanted to be tax collectors. They wanted to extort people. They wanted to be, you chose this life? Okay, I'm going to respect that. Doesn't mean Jesus isn't still crying out to you, but you've chosen to be a nasty dude. So, next slide, please. This guy... Is a terrible, nasty sinner. He's right. He's not lying. He's standing there before the sacrifice, and it reminds him. He's standing before the sacrifice, and it reminds him. And he beats his chest in the deepest form of mourning and says, Not exactly, Lord, have mercy on me. He uses a word that's only used one other time in the Bible, and that's in Hebrews. Remember that word, halaskomai, for Atonement. He says, I believe it's, I'll I'll mess up the Greek. I'm not even going to try He literally says, Lord, may this propitiation be for me. The priest is going away. choking up. The priest is going away to burn incense. And all he can say is, I know who I am. Is it possible that this can be done for me? Can this sacrifice, can this forgiveness, can it be done on behalf of this sinner? And Jesus is like, Absolutely. That's what we're looking for. Next slide, please. But that's not the point. Go ahead. Next slide probably is the point. I want to make another one, though. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis that may have a nasty word in there. I don't know. I don't speak older English from the 40s. But we're going to read it anyway. This is from Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis says that all the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. The pleasure of putting other people in the wrong of bossing and patronizing and spoiling sport and backbiting, the pleasures of power and of hatred. That is why a cold, self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute, but of course it is better to be neither. Now, I I saw this as a meme online, and it always says that a cold, self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be closer to hell than a prostitute. That misses the point. We're we're not arguing about who's going to hell and who's fine. C.S. Lewis's point is that, hey, be a prostitute, just don't be a jerk. C.S. Lewis is saying we're talking about who's closer to hell, not who's going there, right? It's best to be neither. But this quote makes an interesting point. Next slide, please. We have two sinners here. We have the cold, self-righteous P word. I don't know how bad that is. I apologize if it's really nasty. And... Okay, cool. You. Appreciate it. I was like, I'm going to go for it anyway. I'm going to go for it anyway. I can't get fired for one word. I hope. Well, it Anyway, I'm not going there. We have one cold, self-righteous sinner, and then we have the tax collector, who's a nasty, dirty, rotten sinner, and he knows it. Tax collectors are frequently lumped together in first century Judaism with prostitutes and sinners. So it's almost like C.S. Lewis was thinking of this when he wrote the quote. But the difference between these two sinners is that one of them stands before the sacrifice and knows it. Yes. Yeah. And moved by the knowledge of what that sacrifice means and who he is, he says, Lord, if it is possible, toy Moi, I believe, is the Greek. May this be done to me. Propitiate for me. Turn aside your anger for me. Forgive me. I need all that. And he's beating his chest like a woman in public because he's so torn up about it. And Jesus says, this one went home justified. And not the other. Not the other who stood there before the atoning sacrifice of Jesus and said, thanks that I don't need this anymore. Thanks that I don't need this because I'm so good. Thanks because I don't need this because I try so hard. And then Jesus gives the punch because those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted next slide this is so key to the kingdom this is all over the new testament in first peter and also in james is this exact quote all of you clothe yourselves with humility because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble that literally means he is stood he stands opposed his face is against people that are proud and he gives grace to the humble. You know, what does he do? What is he going to do? He's against you because you're proud. Oh my gosh! Well, let's look at the next verses. Next slide. Everyone who exalts himself, everybody who's proud, who has God opposed to them, will be humbled. Humbled. Oh my gosh! But he who humbles himself will be exalted. Why would God actively humble you? Because you need it. Because. Humility is the mindset of the kingdom, and he wants you there. Because pride cannot be in his presence. Nope. Because he can't stand arrogant people. He is helping us when he humbles us. It's no fun, though. So I suggest grabbing humility and running with it before we need God to intervene on our behalf. It's like counting to three and giving a swat to my daughter. It's like, I really wish you would get here before I count to three. But if you don't, you're going to get a warmed bottom. Want you sneaking out when you're 17.
1: (laughs) Let's learn this
0: now. Humility. Humility is the mindset of the kingdom. I have two two quick things I want to say as I close. And I want to challenge us to find ourselves in these statements. Next slide, please. One, this is from the Pharisee. If you don't think you need God's forgiveness, you won't get it. That's right. So Let's go ahead and be honest with ourselves. God knows your funk. Take down those walls. Be honest about who you are, what you think, what your temptations are. My exhortation for this week accidentally touches on exactly this. Read it. Check it out. Don't play games with God. When you go before God, he knows who you are. You should admit it to. And the next one. The worst of sins in your past cannot stop God's grace in the present. You sit here tonight in the presence of the God who sacrificed himself for you to give you that propitiation atonement work. Today, no matter what you have done an hour ago or earlier in your life, you have an opportunity. You don't even have to physically beat your breast. Just be humble enough to know who you are and what you've done and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if you will do that today, you will go home justified. It's a promise because you've latched on to the mindset that is necessary to live in this kingdom. Thank you guys. Here's Justin.